following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. importance of the Holy Spirit, so we will be touching on that, um, as we really do want to celebrate the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit in our life. And uh, we'll be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 25. Uh, verses 14 through 30, uh, and uh, just so uh, I was tasked this morning um, by a certain 10-year-old that I needed to make the message more interesting for children, and I don't know really how to do that, but, but here's what we're going to try this morning. We're going to do an experiment. This is a uh, parable, and so if you're a, ch- a child of any age, you know, 2 to 92, uh, who wants to do this, what I would encourage you to do while I'm reading the passage, you kids run um, to your bedroom and get what, what you need is like four either stuffed animals or four Lego figures or four superhero figures or four of anything that could be a person. Like one of my daughters, when she was little, she would use wooden spoons and make them into people. So pick, take your pick, but you need four of them and you needed something to represent some kind of treasure or money. So it could be like play money or it could be M&M's, it could be some of your leftover Cocoa Puffs from breakfast, I don't know, but you need some treasure. And uh, after the story, when we start explaining it, I'll tell you what to do next. So you kids go get ready while I read this passage, uh, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Uh, Jesus, again, teaching, and it's a, and kind of in the middle of his sermon, uh, so it is a really continuation of what Jesus uh, began last uh, uh that we talked about last week. So let's read. Uh, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants to entrust to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, uh, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours." But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I did not sow, and gather where I scattered no seed. 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at at my coming I would have received uh, what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so hopefully the kids are back with your four figures, your four stuffed animals or superheroes. And what I want you to do is I want you to, at home, uh, kind of act out with your figures this story as we tell it. All right? So one of your story, one of your figures is going to be the master, and then three of them are going to be the servants who get uh, the talents. Um, and it's important as, as we look into this story before we dive into it to really ask a simple question. Right now, what are you, what are you living for? Like as a human being, what, what is your life about? What is the purpose? What is it you hope to get out of this life? Um, and I think uh, this answer would be true uh, really for people universally, whether they're Christians or not Christians, I think all of us at the core of our being are all looking for the same small set of values or things that we hope uh, we, can, we can achieve in life. And they are things like praise and affirmation. I don't know who uh, really very many people who don't want to be affirmed or somehow recognized or praised for their efforts. Um, I, think, I think people, uh, for the most part, want to achieve some level of success. And some people may feel that it's beyond them and they've kind of given up hope. But deep down inside, I think everybody wishes and hopes that they could be successful. Um, I think all of us have a desire to be honored or feel that our our life is important uh, or that we are somehow making a difference in the world. And in fact, that's a growing trend among uh, many people. Uh, They they, 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 uh, don't want to just... accumulate wealth and possessions, but they want to actually do something meaningful to make an impact and a difference in the world and have a life of purpose and meaning. Uh, But most of all, above all these things, I think everybody is seeking joy and happiness. I have yet to to meet anybody anywhere who said, oh, I'm just so happy, I just wish I could be not so happy, right? My life is so full of joy, and I just hate it. I just wish I could be less happy, less joyful, right? Um, uh, and and the, the thing is, uh, joy especially uh, seems to be something that's very elusive. We chase after it. We think we almost get it, and it, it evaporates before us. Um, in fact, C.S. Lewis uh, writes a great book, The Pursuit of Joy, uh, and he talks about how elusive it can be to have a real ongoing permanent sense of joy in our life. Uh, but, but this parable is very encouraging for those of us who follow Christ. Because in this parable, Jesus promises that really all of those things can be true for us. Um, uh, and, and, and in fact, uh, oftentimes there's this idea that, you know, if you follow God, you have to give up the pursuit of joy and happiness and meaning in this life. That those are things that you can have only if you live by the way the world lives. And to follow Christ means to give that up and to take on a life of suffering and misery and gloom. And uh, there's some truth in that because uh, Jesus does call us to a life of suffering. But this parable reminds us that in the end, ultimately, 
He promises us a life full of joy and meaning and purpose. So we want to look at this parable and unpack it and look at what it means for us to pursue a life not of less joy, but of greater joy. A life of deeper and more meaningful purpose than probably we could ever imagine. Uh, so let's look at, this, at, at the story and then we'll see how we can um, really live a life pursuing these, these things. Where we can be assured that we will have the kind of purpose and meaning and joy that we all long for. Uh, first of all, the, the story is really a story about stewardship. Um, these servants uh, are all entrusted, really, with the wealth uh, of the kingdom, of their master's estate, right? Uh, and they're given the stewardship. So, kids, if you're doing this at home, you've got to decide who's going to be the master, like who's the head guy, right? And, and, uh, and who's going to be the servants. And it says that uh, this man is going to go on a journey. So he's got great wealth. He's a very wealthy man, as we'll see in a minute. And he's leaving for a journey, and he wants to leave basically all his possessions, all of his wealth, in the care of these servants, these three servants. Uh, and, and we know that he does not distribute it equally. Uh, he knows his servants. He knows uh, what their abilities are. And he divides it up differently based on the, the abilities, the, the capabilities of each of the servants. Uh, what we might not be aware of, though, is the incredible amount of money that he's giving away. Uh, most of us, uh, you know, we don't, we don't buy and sell in talents anymore. Um, what was a talent? Well, it's actually not a coin or an actual currency of money. A talent is actually uh, a weight, right? So it's, a, it's a, a weight, and it's a very significant weight. It's the kind of weight that you would not carry just in your wallet. It would take really a treasure chest to carry the weight of one talent. And it depended on what the weight was as to what its value was. And you could fill your, your treasure box full of silver or of other Roman coins or of gold. And, of course, the value would be dependent on what coins you filled it with. And I believe because of the nature of the story and the reason Jesus tells it here differently than the uh, account in Luke, uh, where it's a much smaller coinage, I think the, the point he's making here is that it's, it's a lot. So I'm going to go with gold, right? Because I like gold. We all like gold. I'm going to go with a talent's worth of gold. How much would that be? Well, a talent of gold would be uh, the equivalent of 20 years of wages for a common laborer. 20 years of wages. So it would be all the money that a laborer could make working every day of his life uh, for 20 years. That's one talent, right? And so to the one servant, it says he gives five talents, Right, so that's a hundred years worth of labor. And it's significant that this man could not in his whole lifetime repay this money if he loses it. Right? If he messes this up, it, he, he wouldn't live long enough to pay back the amount of wealth that his master is giving to him. So this is really a high stakes game. Uh, if it goes well, yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's the potential for uh, pleasing the master in a great way. But if this goes bad, like you're losing a lot of the master's wealth, right? A huge chunk, right? A huge chunk of money. Um, but it's interesting, the first two, in spite of the risk and in spite of the challenges, uh, they take their talents. One gets five, one gets two. And even two talents is still an incredible amount of money. That would be 40 years worth of labor. So for most of us, that's like our whole working life. Right, represented in those two talents. 
And, and, and the first two waste no time, and it says that right away they go out and they begin trading. Now, we don't know what exactly they did. Maybe the, the guy with the five talents was an expert brownie maker, and he went and he bought ingredients, and he started a brownie business, right? And he went to the market, and every day he took this vast sum of money and he invested it in, in a brownie business, right? Um, or maybe he had something better, I don't know. Uh, maybe he bought a fishing boat and went and, and, and a fishing fleet and, and hired fishermen. Or uh, maybe he started some kind of factory. We don't know what he did. But he began to, to invest this money uh, in a way that would increase its revenue, increase its value, that would make more money. Uh, and he wastes no time in doing it. And it's, it's interesting that, he, that neither of them said, oh, wow, I think first I need to go get my MBA. I'm really not a business major. I think I better go to school first so I can learn how to best use this money. No, that's not what they do. They just get at it. Right? They get to work. And uh, they do what they can to increase it. But notice the third guy. The third guy is different. He plays it safe. And maybe he's worried about the risks involved. Uh, for him, even 20 years uh, would be a long time if he lost it, right? If he somehow uh, invested in a business that failed and he had nothing to show when his master came back, uh, it's a lot of money. And so he uh, takes a path of safety and he goes out with his chest full of gold coins and he digs a hole in his backyard and he buries the chest uh, so that it is safe, right? It is safe. Uh, by the way, uh, we know later in the story that his master asked him, why didn't you just put it in the bank? Uh, and we know that in that day, uh, the banks were actually mostly held in temples. And uh, thieves liked to rob a lot of places. They would rob people's homes. They would rob businesses. But not too many thieves were stupid enough to rob a temple. You just didn't do that. So actually, the money would have been quite safe, as his master advised, to just put it in the bank and collect interest. And we know that the reason this guy... Uh, played it safe, was not so much because he was really trying to be safe, but we find out later that he's really just lazy, right? So the first question we have to answer as we look at this story is, what do the talents represent, right? What are these talents? Uh, there's a lot of them, and it represents certainly uh, the assets of the, of the master at a very extravagant level. Uh, but, but for us, spiritually, or in our lives, what, what is the talents that God has given to us? Well, oftentimes it is, it is commonly thought of as, as that the talents mean talents, means our abilities or our skills. In fact, this parable, that, 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 that meaning of this word uh, gained so much traction in the past, that's where we get the word talent from, comes from the story, right? Uh, and it's often thought to mean our abilities. But the problem with that reading is that it says that they were given talents based on their abilities, Right? He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five, to another two, another one, to each according to his ability. Right? So actually the talents can't be our natural human abilities per se, uh, because uh, the, the, the master gave the talents based on those. But really the, the, the talents represent the resources, all of the resources and opportunities given to us. Right, so all of the resources that we've been given with this life, our possessions, our wealth are certainly part of it, but also things like our time and our energy, 
um, our circumstances that we live in, uh, our, our, our education and our, our background and our upbringing, all our uh, gifts from the Master uh, that are our resources to use. It also includes spiritual resources. As Christians, as those who follow Christ, we've been given significant spiritual resources. Uh, we've been given the Holy Spirit, and we celebrate uh, Pentecost today when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And we, if we are followers of Christ, we all have been uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is an amazing uh, talent, an amazing gift that God has given us, a resource at our disposal. Uh, we've been given a, a huge outpouring of God's love in our heart and life. We have been given his word and his revelation uh, to explain to us who God is and what his purpose is for our life. So all of it, our whole life really is represented by the talents, uh, the opportunities and circumstances we find ourselves in from day to day. And not only the resources, but the opportunities that present us. And, we, and those are not equal, right? Some of us have very different opportunities than others. Uh, some of us have a voice that's much more public than others. And so we have different kinds of opportunities. Um, and together, these combined uh, represent um, uh, God's, uh, God's gift, uh, God's stewardship, really, uh, to us and how we can use them for his benefit, for his kingdom, right? And so, so we're given these resources and opportunities, and we're given them for the purpose of making an eternal difference, right? It says in verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came back, right? So we don't know where he went, but he went far away and he was gone for a long time. And he came back and he, it says that he came to settle accounts with these servants. And the settling of accounts is, a, is a, an accounting term uh, where they would literally count out um, the money that he gave them plus the profit that they made. And it said that he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. He doubled the master's wealth, uh, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I have made five more. Uh, and so we, we see now, even though it wasn't stated before, that there was some expectation on the master, from the master, that they wouldn't just sit on this money, but they would use it to increase uh, his estate, increase his kingdom, increase his empire, if you will. And we see uh, the, the, the third servant who just dug a hole and stuck it in the ground, that did not go with, well with the master. The, the master was quite angry with him. And it said, the master answered him, you wicked and slothful or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and that I gather where I have scattered no seed. You ought to have invested the money with the bankers, right? So at least it would get interest. So what is this a picture of? Okay, if the talents are our resources and our opportunities and the things that we have at our disposal as a stewardship, um, what is the increase that we're seeking? Well, obviously, God doesn't expect us to increase uh, financial wealth necessarily, right? God uh, doesn't need more money. God is not interested in material wealth. So the goal here is not to be uh, like the, the next Warren Buffett or the next Bill Gates who, who takes the resources and accumulates this huge pile of wealth, right? Even though, of course, in this story, that's what it, what it was. But that's not what God is interested in uh, as as. The hymn goes, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Uh, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our wealth. 
but God is interested in something very different. And the capital of the kingdom of God is not money, but it is the lives of eternal souls. Right? That's what God is interested in. God is interested in people created in his image. And he is looking for an investment of making a difference in the lives of, of people. Right? Making a, a difference in the lives of, of our neighbors and friends and those we come in contact with. And so we have a stewardship, a trust to use all that God has given us to make some kind of a spiritual impact in the lives of people around us, in our family, with our neighbors, uh, with people across the globe that we may go, as, as many missionaries have and do, to bring Christ and to see um, the impact of the gospel in changed lives, right? Uh, it's summed up, Jesus sums it up really at the end of Matthew, in, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, in the Great Commission that we're all familiar with. Uh, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we can spend a lot of time talking about those amazing verses. We don't have time this morning. But that's, in essence, what, what God is looking for. How are we using the resources and opportunities he's given us to uh, bring Christ, bring the gospel uh, to the nations and to proclaim him, to proclaim his salvation, to baptize those in his name and to teach them how to live life according to God's purpose and plan. Right? Um, so, so we're given these resources to impact lives for all eternity, uh, but it doesn't end there. We do it so that we can gain eternal rewards. Right? We don't do this only for God. Uh, we do this uh, also because we will get some benefit out of it. Right? And so the, the story goes on. He who brought the, the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. Right? And five talents is not a little, but, but that's kingdom perspective here. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Uh, great words. And here, uh, Jesus lays out three rewards, three benefits, three things that we can look forward to, we will receive if we're faithful as stewards of what God has given us. First, we will receive amazing words of affirmation from God himself. Um, I don't know about you, but I long to hear these words from Jesus. On that day of reckoning, when he comes to settle accounts, when he returns, um, and he says, what have you done with your life? How have you used the resources I have given you for my kingdom? Uh, my hope and my, uh, my, my, my longing is that I will hear him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Um, I'm telling you, that's better than 10,000 likes on Facebook. Right? That's better than a million followers on your YouTube channel. Right? If the God who created us, the God of all creation, the God of the universe, would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Uh, there's no affirmation, there's no praise from anybody 
that could compare with God's affirmation that we have used our life well. But that doesn't end there. God doesn't only applaud us and affirm us with this, well done, good job, but he does more. It says that, he says, you've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Right? Uh, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people have this uh, vision of heaven as this kind of weird existence where we're floating on clouds um, and, uh, and, and, and with nothing to do, right? We're just kind of floating on the clouds and maybe we're worshiping God or we're just enjoying his presence, but like there's, there's, no, there's no work, there's no activity, there's no purpose to it. But uh, Jesus makes it clear that that is not true. We will be given responsibility in heaven. We will rule with him. And Christ will be ruling over all things, over a new creation, over a new universe. And we will rule with him. And he says that he is going to assign us tasks and responsibilities based on our faithfulness here on earth. And the, the, the responsibility that we get in eternity makes our responsibilities here seem like nothing. Right? So we're not going to be just floating on the clouds, spending all eternity twiddling our thumbs, right? We're going to have meaningful, purposeful activity to do. And I don't know what it is, and Jesus doesn't explain it. It's probably beyond our imagining. But if we, if we want our life to be meaningful and be impactful and be making a difference, um, what Jesus promises us here is the opportunity to be doing that for all eternity in grand and glorious ways. Uh, not in insignificant ways, but in, in hugely dramatic ways, that our life can count and have meaning and purpose, not only in this life, but in, in eternity. Uh, and then finally, it doesn't even end there, right? So we get God's praise, his affirmation. We inherit uh, a job and responsibility where we will rule and govern over, I don't know what, but big things, big things. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on and there's more and he says, And come, enter into the joy of your master. Wow. Like if if that's not good enough, the third thing he promises us is that we will enter into the joy, the very joy of God. And uh, you know, a lot of times we think of God as being angry, as God being mean, as God being sullen. But actually, one of the things that most characterizes God is he is a God of joy. Right? We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? And the fruit of the Spirit means the characters of God that he pours out into our life so that they become our very character and our very life. And what is the fruit of the Spirit? Depression, sadness, disappointment, despair. No, right? No, that's not the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's the fruit of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, these are the things that flow out of the very character of God. And, and God invites us, Jesus invites us uh, to live a life that will end and culminate in joining in the very joy of heaven, the very unexpressible celebration and joy of God's perfect and beautiful character right, that we will, we will have forever. Uh, and, and there's something uh, that we can't imagine, and it's a joy that's beyond any earthly pleasure. But there's nothing on this earth that can begin to compare with the joy that God promises in eternity with him. Right, so, 
So that's uh, it, what this parable is about. He's, Jesus is saying, look, you have the opportunity uh, for, for great reward, uh, but the reward also comes for the third servant as well. Right? The third servant also got a reward, but it wasn't a good reward. It was a terrible reward. It was payment for his laziness and his lack of diligence. And what he gets is separated from the king, from the master, and he's cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? He is cut off from all joy. His life has no meaning and no purpose, and there is no praise and no affirmation. Right? So the bottom line is, uh, all the things that we seek for as human beings are found only in a life lived for God's purpose, using the resources he's given us for his kingdom and his glory. That's the only path that will produce lasting rewards and benefits that we seek. So, so um, let, let's just go back real briefly and, and highlight uh, some things that we can emphasize in our life to make sure we're on this path, right? Uh, I call them keys to success or things that we need to be diligent about day by day to make sure we're, we're doing this, right? That we are uh, investing in eternity. And just like the, the passage before the, the story of the um, ten virgins, the context here is the church, right? So Jesus isn't talking about three servants, two of whom belong in the community of faith and one who's a pagan, right? Now he's talking here about those who belong who are servants of the master. He's talking to people in the church. And he's warning us that it's possible to be, to be identified with the church, to look like a Christian, to look like somebody who's waiting for the master's return, but who is in the end terribly unprepared because they have not been diligent using their life for kingdom purposes. So, so what can we do to make sure we're on the right track? Well, here's just some uh, very practical ways that we can make sure we're investing in the kingdom. First, start now. Right? Start now. It says that the, the, the servant with the five talents, as soon as he got them, he went at once and traded them. Right? He went immediately and got to work. Uh, and I think this is a profound truth for us in the church today. In the church and in the kingdom of God, we are not to wait until we are fully qualified or until we know everything before getting to work. Right? We are to get to work right away. As soon as a person comes to Christ, they are immediately to find ways to begin serving and investing their life and their resources in kingdom purposes, in eternal things. Right? And I wonder if we in the church, if we in modern Christianity have created lazy disciples because we sideline them until they're trained enough, right? Um, we, 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 we want people to become ministry professionals, right? We expect them to go through all of our courses and classes and training. And it's not that training is bad. We, we always should be developing ourselves. We should always be looking at ways to be more... Uh, more prepared, more equipped. That's biblical. But, but the picture here is that we don't wait until we graduate with a PhD in ministry before we start. Right? And I wonder how many people sideline themselves uh, because they compare themselves with others. Right? Uh, they know they've only got one talent or two talents. And they see that guy with five talents and they think, well, I could never be like that guy. Right? I don't have what he has. I'm not that, I don't have that kind of charisma. I'm not that gifted. 
So I'll just let him do it, right? And we live in a day and an age where we have made superstar preachers, which I am not one of, right? I know that. Um, but they're out there, right? These guys who pastor these mega churches, and they are very talented people, extremely gifted. And I would love to have a fraction of their gifting, right? But it's easy to get this idea that don't try this at home, right? Leave this to the professionals, right? And that, it, that, that it's a spectator sport, right? And we cheer on the superstar preachers who do the real ministry, and we just sit in the background as the audience watching the show. But that is not what Jesus is teaching here. He's saying, look, you're given, everybody's given resources. And it's not about, um, it's not about how trained or educated you are, or how gifted you are. It's about being faithful with what you have. Right? And the honest truth is, we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday today. We're, we're celebrating the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. And that happens at conversion, right? You don't have to complete X number of classes or trainings. You don't have to graduate, and then God says, okay, I think you're ready, now I'll send the Holy Spirit. No, we are given the Holy Spirit at the moment we put our faith in Christ. And at that moment, we are given the greatest resource of all, right, to be fruitful and effective in ministry. And the key to being a high-impact person is not necessarily your education or your training. It is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you, Right? The truth is, we can be a superstar rock preacher, a rock star preacher, and be void of the power of the Holy Spirit, and we will produce no eternal results. Right? Uh, it may put on a good show, it may impress the world, but it does not impress God. Right? What we need is the Holy Spirit. What we need is a dependence upon Him to be doing today what He's called us to do to impact lives for His kingdom. I think it's super uh, cool and important that Jesus chose fishermen, right, to be his disciples. He, he chose people who did not have their doctrine and theology. He did not choose people who were the uh, religious elite, who were the smartest or the most noble or who were the most wealthy. He picked very ordinary people doing very ordinary jobs. And yes, he did train them. But he didn't train them by sitting down in a class and going through endless PowerPoints, right? He trained them by sending them out and putting them to work and letting them even fail as they tried to heal and cast out demons and preach the kingdom, right? Um, so so don't, don't wait, right? Don't, don't, don't feel like, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not trained enough. No. Jesus' message here is get to work today. Maybe you're a kid at home and you're saying, I'm not old enough. Not true, right? There's things you can do. God has given you resources. He's given you gifts. He's given you things and friends and opportunities where you can be sharing Christ regardless of your age or your ability. Second thing, um, to to the man with one talent, verse 24, it says, He who had received the one talent... He came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here is what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew I was that way, 
So why didn't you at least invest so I could get interest, right? Um, he's, he's called a wicked servant. So even though he has excuses of trying to be safe, trying to protect the master's money, the master sees through all that and he calls him lazy, wicked and lazy. Playing it safe was really an excuse for just being lazy, for not doing anything. Um, he was either too busy doing his own thing or just lazy and didn't want to do anything at all. And so the easiest path for him was to just do nothing, to bury it in the ground and do nothing. He couldn't even carry it to the bank and deposit it there for interest. Um, but what's interesting uh, when you look at these verses is that I believe the root of this guy's problem wasn't just being lazy, although that was part of it. But I think deeper, uh, his problem was that he had a faulty understanding of who the master was. Right? Notice his words. I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Um, basically what he's saying here is that his, his master is kind of a crook, right? that he, uh, he steals somebody else's crops, right? That he's harsh, that he's hard, that he's, he's uh, not compassionate, right? Uh, which is not actually who God is, right? Now, it is true that for those who are God's enemy, uh, he is harsh. And, and, and as this servant found out, he says, if that's how you want me to judge you, that's how I will judge you. And you should have at least known if I was hard and harsh, you should have at least got interest, right? Uh, you condemn yourself by your own words. But the reality is that that's really not what God is, right? God, God can be a judge, and certainly God will judge those who reject him, who are his enemies, those who are wicked and uh, lazy. But, but that's not really the, the, the description of who God is, right? We ought to know God as a God who is generous. Uh, this master... Uh, graciously and generously gave these these three servants an opportunity to play with somebody else's money, right? Uh, the master himself could have just put the money in the bank and just got interest. But he wanted to partner with, he wanted to involve his servants as stewards of his wealth, right? And, and it was a kindness, it was an act of grace to them to let them participate with him in expanding his wealth and his kingdom. Um. But the truth is, if we have this kind of view of God, the view of this third servant, um, th- there, th- there's little hope that it will be worth it to uh, do the work required because we will have no confidence that it will pay off in the end. And so it's important that we have the right understanding of who God is, right? that we ground and root ourselves in, in the right idea and understanding of God's character and nature. And the truth is, there is, there is risk involved in serving God. Um, uh, of course, uh, we, we don't risk losing it all, but, but there are risks. It is hard, right? We may invest our time and our money in things that, uh, from our point of view, pay very little back, right? Uh, we, we, may, we may, and we will, Jesus promised, meet uh, obstacles and and persecution and difficulty, right? It's hard. Uh, and, and if you don't believe in a generous, loving God who wants to bless us, uh, if you believe in a God who's harsh and hard and, and only wants to, to, to judge us and condemn us, right? there will be very little motivation to serve him. 
Who would make sacrifices for a God like that, right? Um, but Hebrews 11.6 says this, uh, Without faith, it is impossible to please, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and, what? That he rewards those who seek him. Right? Uh, ultimately, this third servant lacked faith in the character of a God who's good and loving and who rewards those who seek him. We need to know God, right? Uh, we need to grow in our understanding of who he is. And ultimately, we need to grow in our understanding of the gospel, right? Great verse that we should, we should meditate on often is Ephesians 2, 4, 4 through 7. Because this is the real God, who he really is. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, that is with Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Is that the God you serve? Right? Is that your understanding of who God is? A God who is rich in mercy. A God who has a great love with which he loves us. A God who saves us by his grace and made us alive together with Christ and seated us with Jesus in the highest places of heaven, so that one day he could show how incredibly generous and good and gracious and kind he is toward us. Right? Uh, the more we understand that's who God is, the more motivated we will be to be building his kingdom, because we know what's in store for us. Third, uh, the most important life to impact is your own. Like, it's really easy to read this passage and to think about our mission of impacting lives around us, and that's very true. Uh, but it's, it's also important for us to see that our greatest stewardship and our most important stewardship is our own life. Right? It is our own life. Um, we are to invest in our own spiritual growth and development because ultimately the greatest investment we will have to show a return for is our own life. Right? God has saved us. He has invested us with the very blood of Jesus to save us. And ultimately, the thing that we will lay before him, the ultimate talent that we give back to him is our own, very own life. Right? So, so it's not saying here that we neglect ourselves, we neg neglect our own spiritual growth and maturity and development, and we pour only into others. It doesn't work that way. So Philippians 2 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed me, Paul speaking, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who, is, who works in you, both to the working of your will and to the outpouring of the work that you do for his good pleasure. My own interpretation, paraphrase there. Uh, right? God wants us to work out our own salvation. And it is through that that we impact the world around us. So Jesus said it this way in, in, in John chapter 15, verse 4. Right, very familiar passage, but it, crucial to understanding how we will impact others. Right, we do not impact others by neglecting our own spiritual growth. 
Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Right, so, so going out and, and investing our talents and those resources means that our own life has to be one that's being transformed by a close relationship and dependence on Christ, right, where he is changing us. And through that, we will then bear fruit in the world. Uh, number four, we're running out of time here real quick. Number four, be effective, not just busy. <laughs> uh, now, they did get busy. And if you're not being busy, well, then that's a problem. But we need to be smart in our busyness, right? We need to work in ways that are according to God's purpose and plan for our life. And what I love in this story is that uh, the master doesn't, doesn't micromanage the servants. He doesn't say, look, my plan is, is a brownie business, or my plan is, is barley, like we're going to trade and sell barley, or my plan is donkeys, right? And if you want to make money for me, this is the only way you can do it. No, he gives them his resources and he turns them loose. And he says, you do it in accordance with your own abilities and your own interests, right? Uh, I love that in Scripture there are a myriad of gifts and personalities and ways to make an impact. And I wonder if modern missions isn't making a huge mistake by trying to squeeze everybody into one plan for how to be effective in ministry. Right? Like, this is the only way you can make disciples. This is the only way you can plant churches. This is the only, this training is the, is the, is the only one that will really bear fruit, right? Uh, if only Jesus had known what we know, like, he would have put it in the Bible. Uh, but he missed something, right? And so we're helping him out, right? Well, it doesn't work that way, right? Uh, you need to know what God is calling you to do with the gifts he's given you and the opportunities he's given you. And there are countless ways to serve him and countless ways to make an impact for his kingdom right? and countless opportunities that are out there. We just need to know what God's called us to do and do that. right? Do what God's called you to do. Um, lastly, last thing. We'll quit, quit with this. Expect short-term pain but long-term gain. Right? Um, the thing is, we live in a world of instant everything, right? And the world promises instant gratification here and now. Satan and the world and our own flesh want instant joy, instant affirmation, instant praise. And we live in a world where, like at no other time, that is absolutely available, right? We live in a world of instant food, instant answers, instant communication, I just love it that, you know, if somebody sends you a message and you don't answer them back within the first, like, 45 seconds, you're being rude, right? Uh, that's the world we live in, where we want instant answers, instant feedback. Um, you know, back in the old days, a long time ago, before electricity, people played games like chess that could take hours. Now, uh, most modern video games and, and games people play on their phone uh, if, if you don't finish the game in about two minutes, people get bored and quit. Because that's our attention span. Like, we need to be, have instant, like, really instant gratification now, right? 
And we live in a day and an age where instant affirmation is also available, right? You put something up on social media and instantly you start getting those clicks, those likes, those followers, right? And, and we get this illusion, we live this in an illusion that, oh, I can get joy now. I can get significance and meaning now. Because if people liked my Facebook post, I must be somebody. <laughs> well, that's a dream, right? It's not real. And it doesn't last. And that's why you've got to keep coming up with more posts and more videos and more followers, right? Because it's instant, but it's not lasting. It's not lasting. Uh, but Jesus puts us before something very different. The master went away for a very long time. Making five talents, making a hundred years worth of profit did not happen instantly. Even though he got to work right away, it probably took him a long time of investing and maybe some significant setbacks and a lot of hard work. Right? And, and, and the thing is, we are not living for gratification for reward here and now. We need to have the focus that our life is invested not in now, not today, but in eternity. And we await the day when Jesus comes back uh, with his reward. And it's on that day that he will settle his, his accounts. And the question is, will we give up the fleeting joy and pleasures of this world here and now in order to gain the eternal praise of God and a life filled with the greatest purpose and meaning possible for all eternity? Right? You can't have both. Right? You can't have immediate joy in this world and what God promises. Right? It's an either or. And we need to say no to the instant gratification of this world if we are going to live for the eternal rewards that Jesus brings. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.